0: Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more Shelf Stories.
1: Yo, my peoples, what's up? Welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop, and also welcome to Shelf Stories, the channel that tells tales from games, books, and life. Two channels, everybody. Uh, I am your host, Jason. Thank you so much for stopping by for this uh, wonderful conversation that I have lined up Following up on another wonderful conversation we like to get deep here on Shelf Stories in the One Stop Co-op Shop. Uh, About a couple of months ago, uh, I was blessed to be on a a video channel with Frederick Serval uh, about uh, colonialist games. And it was a, a introductory conversation. A lot of us had, you know, we were meeting each other for the first time, talking about, you know, the stuff that we talk about here on Shelf Stories in terms of, you know, making good trouble and criticizing games, cultural critiques, and everything. Um, I think all of us on the panel felt a hunger for to get deeper and to push and to you know evolve and we have two very very um distinguished academics here on the channel and that's what they do they help people <laughs> push and um you know elaborate their thoughts and everything so we're going to go deeper everybody we're going to go deeper into decolonizing games understanding what colonialism is in games and how to uh, grapple with it and move forward and i could not think of two Better guests. I'm going to introduce the man oh. on my uh, left uh, first. He is the designer of John Company uh, and other very, very um, thoughtful uh, historical based games. He has a PhD in history. He is associated with World Get Games and also Leader Games. And oh, by the way, he designed Root. <laughs> Root is a very, very popular property that is known to us here in the One Stop Co-op Shop. He is Cole Worley. Welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me, Jason.
1: And. Yay! Uh, and uh, we have here uh, the author, uh, and we reviewed her book. Uh, the book is co-author, called... co-author, co-author. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> uh, remind me of the pronunciation of the first name here.
2: Um, he goes by Michael, uh, Michael. but Mikhail, Mikael would be his um, um, Swedish Swedish moment.
1: Mikhail <laughs> Jacobson and this person has co-authored a, bu- well, I um, mean, this person has published a number of books here in the colonial space. Uh, the, the scholarship is speaks for itself. I think a lot of the people that have been on the show, including Dr. Tanya Poboda and others, uh, draw a lot of inspiration from this person. She is Dr. Mary Flanagan. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much.
1: Okay, so we are here uh, in terms of getting deeper, right? So we can we talked about kind of colonialist games in general. What the occasion that got us to this conversation was a particular game, very much beloved in our community. Uh, it is, I am holding up the box right here. It is Spirit Island. So uh, very popular game. Uh, it is the number one solo game. Number one running. Uh, I think it's five years running in our voting for. Uh, Could be voted for it. And the votes go up every single year. And the vote tally for Spirit Island goes up every single year. So it is a popular game. It has just received a Target exclusive. I don't know if it's exclusive at this point, but like at the, initially was. But a Target version that has appeared in big box stores called Horizons of Spirit Island. So it is a popular game. It is an influential game. And it purports itself to be an anti-colonial game. So, um, and so we're going to look at that. And I think we have some thoughts about that. Uh, um, I I, I struggle with how much I want to like kind of tease things, but suffice it to say, we have some, you know, I think we have comments on both sides and all sides to give. Um, So uh, I I don't want to spend the entire time talking. Uh, Cole, you have, you went we I first mentioned this um, topic. You had a lot of thoughts about Spirit Island. Like we, we, (laughs)
2: <laughs> he has the thoughts we, we got some thoughts we're,
1: we're ready to go and also um, uh, we do have some thoughts here in playing oppression uh but I, I there was only a couple of pages on it right uh and i right, think we're gonna right. we're gonna get into it um and then we're gonna you know uh, move into the deeper criticism but i'm gonna start with cole because cole was just raring to go cole has not shared his <laughs> thoughts <laughs> so at the very beginning so spirit island is a game it, in which you it kind of flips the narrative in regular colonialist games. In a colonialist game, you're usually playing the colonizer and you're going to a land and you're doing colonizer things, right? Uh, and it's usually you know pretty placid and you're they focus on the growth and the mercantilism and everything like that. Um, and does not talk about the the pillaging and the harm and the expectation, exploitation. It, it skims, skims that stuff over. Spirit Island flips it on its head. You are playing natural spirits. And you are you're playing against an automated opponent, which are the colonizers, and it doesn't just say colonizers in general; it names the colonizers, like you're fa- you're fighting off against Russia and you know the Habsburg dynasty and all those kind of things. So it's really much, you know, kind of we're here's the script, boom, put it over. I've made an anti-colonialist game. So <laughs> I think that sets the scene. Uh, Cole, I'm gonna go ahead and wind you up. I don't know if you have any initial thought before we get into it.
0: <laughs> no, I don't. I don't have a prepared statement, but. I think it's important – I mean, if we're going to talk about Spirit Island, we have to think about the context in which it exists in because it's one of those objects that if we were to just pluck it out of the ether, it almost wouldn't make sense as an object. It would be confusing as to why it exists. Spirit Island is a game that is a direct reaction to the especially prevalent mid-2000s use of colonial themes in in games and i think it's something that they're very ably tracked uh in mary and michael's book and it the, the way i tend to think about it is you have in the late 90s you know I, I think that there's there's long been an adoption of imperialist themes in games as it respects this correlates a lot to games as pedagogic properties their association with the, the rise of british empire and british print culture and then in the 90s the actually
1: I uh, can I pause right there just for a second for clarification yes. because I think we're talking to an audience for whom uh it's just a game. Sure. Right? sure and sure, that, sure. there's so many people who think it's just a game and this is why Mary's book is so valuable. She traces the lineage of games and goes into so much detail about games as pedagogy. Games right. as producing culture, games intentionally. The game maker is saying, "I want to teach my people this and I want to teach children this and I want to yeah. like so so we're going to go on this conversation with that context of of, of what you said. So I just wanted to kind of pin that. Sure, sure. Well, then then, then by way
0: of jumping directly to Spirit Island, I think it's important to think about Spirit Island as a reading. It's an attempt at reading the sorts of games that were being produced and then participating in that discourse, trying to subvert it. And the way I like to frame Spirit Island uh, the the reason why I, I want to frame Spirit Island in that way is because I think many of its successes and its limitations are bound up in the fact that it is so directly a response. So it, it's a little bit stuck in its own its own paradigm, uh, for, for ways that that, that will flush out. Um, Spirit Island is very clearly toying with Catan and very clearly toying toying with especially the Tabla Rasa um colonization games. Uh, the designer Reese in one designer diary talks about how the germ of the idea for the game happened in a moment where he took a colonization action in one of the mini games of that period and placed his little colony disc on some property in the Imperial periphery. And then at that moment thought, what, what's being erased in this, Mm -hmm. in this placement. And then imagines, um, a kind of decentered, you know, flip, flip the script moment. Um, this is evident from everything about how the game presents itself. Well, if you look at the box of spirit Island, um, The spirit inhabitants are center, uh, and in the bottom left, a cooperative settler destruction strategy game, which is this attempted inverting the the standard pitch of a game as this is a game that's going to have a kind of fun colonial play.
1: And even like the ships, right? So I'm, uh, if you're listening yep. to the podcast, um, I'm showing the box cover and even the ships in the bottom, right? So like in a normal Colonial game, and Mary goes through it, like Navigador and Goa, yeah. and, you know, going off Catan and everything. Uh, the ships are usually pretty prominent, either Babe. the ships yeah. or yeah. <laughs> the, the sailors. So it's like, like total, like, okay, we're going to blow this part up and shrink this part down. Yep. And that's going to be our, although th- th- there's a problem with blowing certain things up and shrinking things down. But like, I think that's the general sense of what Spirit Island was going for. It was very much like, okay, punch, counter punch type. thing.
0: Yep. And and I think even in the game's adoption of a fantastic and a historical setting is also a reaction to the degree to which games about colonialism started becoming unmoored from any kind of historical setting. You know, mm-hmm. Catan is a fictional island. The island of Spirit Island is a fictional island. So it, I think it's very much a place where the designer is wanting to meet games where they were. Mm-hmm. and flip the script and i think some of its greatest successes come from that meeting and some of its greatest failures come from that meeting
1: okay uh so before we get into that deeper i want to bring in uh mary so you you had some thoughts uh, about spirit island but i'd like to invite you to share your initial thoughts about the game
2: yeah well i mean it's uh, i i think uh cole's really hit it on the head that it's 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 created in a context and this terra nullis uh problem that it it is playing with a little bit is is something that's not even a 20th century or 21st century problem this goes way 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 back because games have board games specifically have been used for enculturation for so long and they've been intentionally used and stated that they're being used for so long even down to uh guy and in the 13th century um teaching Hindu values, for example. So we have this like really long line of games being used and, and theoretically for good values, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, What the society
1: considers good values, yeah, Yes, sure. or
2: like Los Insurgentes, um, this by Ante- Antonio Garcia Cu- uh, Cubas, who talks about the Mexican revolution and the heroes and the instantiating, you know, heroes and culture, like a homemade homebrew game about us you know um and that is very different than what what cole's describing in the in the euro game explosion in the 1990s um and even before that with the with the space with the space fantasies because the Mm -hmm. colonies space colony fantasy stuff has gone on even before that so i was really delighted to see this counter flipped script thing i was delighted to find this box and not only are you playing as spirits, but the spirits are angry. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> They're like very powerful and very like, you know, primordial. And and um and the, and there's some really interesting features in the game that that capitalize on um on some of some of the you know the specific things with co-op and power and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But um but for me to see that the the game's popularity is very interesting because somehow there are a lot of players out there holding in Tons. their minds. Tons there's a lot of players holding equally their respect for Puerto Rico Navigador blah, 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 and Spirit Island and it, I think it's really um it's really interesting uh and it brings up that long-held notion that has been a little bit of an escape hatch for board games uh, which is like oh it's just a game theme doesn't matter mechanics matter and of course, when you really start to unpack, mechanics are integrally part of this colonialist narrative and 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 possible counter-colonial narratives. And what we're doing in the game is actually what makes the game happen. So so if we look at the evolution of mechanics and their colonial themes, I think that's really where we start to kind of move beyond this oh theme as a kind of cover uh, we just changed the theme. We changed the game. That's right. not really true. <laughs>
1: right. I, I mean, I'm so, yeah, let's let's focus on that. Because we're talking about the Euro crowd, which, be you know, began in Germany. And I think this is very specific amongst that audience. Uh, and in, in a sense, they're like, okay, the mechanisms are one thing and we can enjoy mechanisms. And so from the mechanism level, I can enjoy Puerto Rico or old Puerto Rico. And I can enjoy... Um, you know all those games that I mentioned before, Archipelago and go and all kind of thing, and I can enjoy Spirit Island. and And if you're like kind of as far as the theme, the theme becomes like an entertainment piece. Like I'm entertained by X, mm-hmm. Y, and Z, and then this other thing is ooh doing the naughty thing because they're fighting. So it's like I'm watching. Uh, if I'm I'm I'm, I'm a Michael Jackson meme like eating popcorn and I'm <laughs> watching a Discord. <laughs> you know, two kind of themes fight mm-hmm. against each other, and it it t- it tickles me as a gamer mm-hmm. because I'm disconnected from an idea of what you're talking about, Mary, which is that, no, it's not just the themes that are communicating, there's mechanism stuff going on right. that is that is implicating us in some kind of coolness project. So that's a heavy thing uh, in terms of the mechanisms kind of implicating us. So let's start to unpack that because I think sure. that's where the water starts to rise a yeah. little bit because that's where a lot of gamers are like, I, I'm, not, I'm not implicating anything, it's just a game, I'm not doing nothing. So maybe you're saying, right, right. You're giving me the, the the sage nods, Cole, so maybe you can start to unpack that sense.
0: Well, I think, I mean, we can dissect any game. We can divide it up into its mechanisms. And then by doing that, we start to see the lines of influence and the sort of game that we're actually playing and the sort of, sort of stories that it's actually telling. And I think this is a really critical element because a lot of Euro games, um, and I, I wish we had a better word. But it's just the one we've got.
2: Right. Uh, we we uh, went to modern games, right? And yeah. So substituted Euro, but it's still pretty. Yeah. Bland. It,
0: it, yeah. It, <laughs> it, 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 it's a problem with new definitions. They're always a little bland. Yeah. and outstoried. <laughs> so I mean, one one of the problems with, with with modern games is that they're often built around growth, and this is a consequence of how the games are designed. You're usually designing around player feedback. Players want to be empowered over the course of the game. So of course, as you develop games to cater to those tastes, you're going to be telling. Stories of empowerment. One way that you demonstrate empowerment or you enact it within a game is you have things like spreading, development, growth, entrenchment of positions. And so one of the so if you think about Spirit Island, I mean, basically, we're talking about three different elements. And I I, I want to get slightly specific here. So in within Spirit Island, we have the Dahan, who are the the, the native population of the island. Um, largely inert but only only largely there are exceptions uh, we have the invader uh, they're often a uh, themed off of a European power and then we have the spirits which is where all of the color and action of the game, these are asymmetric right. um, designs that have lots of special powers, cards that kind of stuff um, highly, highly a- asymmetric in play um, the Dahan are inert in terms of their own agency, players don't play them they play with them uh, the invaders are inert. Well, they're not inert, but they are automatic. They're essentially a script that the players run. So they also have no agency. You don't know why they're there, um, which, which is potentially important. And then the, the spirits are where the game is locating all of the agency. Critically, though, when we start to think mechanically, some really upsetting things about the design start coming up, coming up which is to say, the spirits' growth, destruction, moving around is not so different from how the European players act. You're just moving different colored pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Spirit Island is in the genre of co-op. I sometimes call them like pandemic likes, which are fundamentally about managing the spread of something. And of course, in the longer history of games like this, um, you know, the the language of stopping a uh, the spread of a disease is deeply, deeply implicated in the colonial discourse,
1: mm-hmm.
0: where disease is often located on the periphery. So there's a very like superficial f- switch happening here where you're still playing a disease management game. It just happens that the disease are these sickly white conquistador figures.
1: And uh, I'm gonna actually, st- a quote from the lore, speaking of that. So this kind of like gets a little bit deeper into the implication stuff. So uh, the Dahan were the first humans on spirit island. They immigrated centuries ago in a time when ocean's hungry grasp, which was a, a, a spirit, Uh, prowled nearby waters less frequently. The lore spoke of spirits, and they expected their new home would have some, but they were greatly surprised by their number. So already the Dahan are surprised and kind of on their back foot. The Dahan's agriculture and animals brought bright to the land, and conflict with the spirits triggered the first reckoning. The Dahan capitulated quickly, and an accord was reached. The spirits would transform crops and animals to be more compatible with the ecosystem. The Dahan would change their methods of farming and seek counsel for friendlier spirits. The two became neighbors, but unequal. The Dahan were reliant on and obligated to the spirits. In a sense... Cringe.
2: There's some cringe in there. In
1: a sense, <laughs> the spirits colonized the Dahan. And, yeah. right? Yeah. And and, yeah. and so the game puts the spirits... It, it imagines the spirits as the good guys, because it's basically... And it doesn't really, like, do anything to kind of tell you that the good guys. It kind of, like, tell you that the good guys, just by the fact that the, the player is playing them. Like you are the good guy and the Dahan are these colonized agents and I'm going to use the word colonized agents because like, and, I mean, and so like the, the description uses the language of an accord, you know, like uh, the Dahan and the spirits came to an accord. Well, that's what the colonizers always say. Oh, we came to an accord with the Indians and we came to an accord with the, all these other people. Uh, You know, there's, there's a, you know, some kind of equal lines, but like you look, you look deeper and it's unequal. So... When what you're saying, Cole, is like, and I think Mary, you're saying this too is like by trying to flip the script, but by keeping the same script, you're reproducing something that maybe you didn't really want to reproduce. So, anyway, <laughs> that wasn't supposed to be my dropout. It's well put, Jason. <laughs> that's great.
2: Yeah, that, that's 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 in there. That's in there. I mean. You know, there's a lot of stuff that we include in the book um from really amazing postcolonial scholars who talk about things like um, for example, Alimambembe um talks about you know, writing new spatial relations and territorialization and subverting existing property rights and um you know all the all the aspects of colonialism, including shifts of new key technologies, um you know how you seize and delimit your power. I mean, all of these things come into play in the game. And and there are other colonialist mechanics that that are, are really kind of difficult to see. Like we, you know, like the like resources and power being abundant and renewable um forever, mm-hmm. <laughs> mostly um you know trading mechanics uh, you know even I, I haven't really tried to analyze the cooperative mechanics and see if there's any kind of stuff like that but i think we're just we're, we're dealing with a loaded medium mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just important a medium that we all love <laughs> but it's a loaded medium and just like Cinema has its sorted histories of representation and whose stories were told. Um, I think we also have this in board games and we have it in other art forms as well. So so I think we're just dealing with um uh the 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 rightful place of of how we have these conversations um and paying attention to subjecthood and objecthood in these game spaces becomes a a key part of thinking about them, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think, it's you know, when when I read through in preparation for this conversation, I read through all the design diaries for Spirit Island, which I which I had read when it first came out. And it was interesting to revisit them a few years later. And one of the things that really struck me is how uh, the the designers kind of struggled through these same problems. I mean, Mm -hmm. one of the interesting things about Spirit Island, I think, is that the the intent is there to to do to do some kind of forward work and. In the, in the conversation around whether or not players should be playing the Dahan or the Spirits, I think it, it was really fascinating to, to see that question walked through. Mm-hmm. And the the solution, the, the arrival at using the Spirits as the primary point of agency had to do with playtesting feedback. It had to do with the desire to, like, well, all the fun magic stuff is happening with the Spirits, so that's where I'm going to locate player agency, mm-hmm. even though even in those early po- posts, you can see the nagging, like "Oh, something is being erased here. Something's like not quite right about this th- th- this choice that, that's being made."
1: Right, and I, I think that. And uh, okay, so uh, full disclosure: uh, I'm friends with Eric. Uh, we've we've gone back and forth. He uh, he first appeared on my podcast in 2017, 18, through around there uh, to talk about Spirit Island and unique themes and everything. And since then, we've kind of gone back and forth. Uh, so, Eric, hi. <laughs> this is not an ambush or anything. This is all. No, right no, no. Now. Um, so, uh, so, uh, so having said that, I think, uh, and and we haven't specifically talked about this, but this is the feeling that I get, and this is not the only game that does this. So it's like, okay, I want to be in this space. I want to be in a the iffy space of like some kind of colonialism or exploration. Or, I mean, there's tons of games that are, that are about this stuff, um, but. If I were to involve the natives in the game, that I bring up problematic stuff, so I got to kind of deal with the native stuff. And the former way of doing it was like, okay, well, well, the former way of doing it was just, like, okay, uh, well, well, it was just make them workers, and, and like, okay, oh right. well, they're workers and everything. So that that that's a clearly a no go because they weren't just workers; they were, you know, people, and they rebelled, and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so what I think Spirit Island did, and and I'm, and it's not unique. It's like, okay. Um, and I hear what you're saying about like, okay, the magic stuff is with the spirits. But like, I think there was also an impulse to like, I'm not native. I don't want to represent natives. So mm-hmm. I'm going to instead do this other thing that evokes, you know, the the, the oppressed and evokes the other side. Uh, but that won't get me in as much trouble. Basically, um, I think you had put it in the, uh, uh, in the conversation we had. It was like, you know, I want this theme to be kind of unobjectionable. You know, I, I'm. I'm. They. You hear this question all the time. It's a cultural insult I hear all the time. Is this okay? And so, <laughs> and it's a. It's a. It's not a good question because, like, when you when you try to avoid the stepping in the poo of quote unquote offending somebody, you very likely are going to step in some different poo. Right. It's it's all over the place because when you're because entering the field of colonization and all this kind of stuff, I mean, there's poo all over the place I mean, there's oppressions and exploitation all over the place. So like trying to morph the story a little bit to like avoid, OK, I'm not going to you know be the natives and represent the natives and everything. I'm going to do the spirits and everything that kind of takes the what I say, the appropriation poo and you move over to the erasure poo. Mm hmm. Right. And so I don't want to appropriate. So we're going to erase lost wounds of Arnak, which is also on my shelf. I have all these games, people. I enjoy all these games. Um, this is not, I'm not just like canceling. This is just this is thinking. Um, lost Uons of Arnak. I don't know if you know it. Um, does this does a similar move in the sense that they don't want to bring the natives into the game. So they invent the native culture and you read those designer diaries. They did a lot to invent that culture and then they buried it. They're gone, no violence happened to them. Now there are spirits left and the researchers interact with these spirit guardian things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think we're both, I think all of us uh, are here. It's like, okay, that's kind of not good enough, right?
2: Well, I yeah. think what's happening yeah. is that that erasure that you're talking about is is the opposite of agency. And, and so when you're giving where you put agency still happens to be in this romantic explorer indiana jones thing or when you are or this um this other kind of uh you know great spirits who have control but what about what is a game where where all these all these parts are taken seriously in a way that isn't about erasure can can it be done i mean i i think it can be done mm-hmm. it's really hard what we're doing is really <laughs> hard. <laughs> We're going okay. against several thousand years of history, by the way, so it's not like this is a recent problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that's that's where it, where it requires invention and um, and and taking responsibility like I think designers are starting to do, which is really great.
1: OK, so uh, I mean, do we have any other thoughts in terms of like what's going on in Spirit Island in and of itself? Because that, that's a good transition, Mary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't want to leave off the kind of just the, the critical piece. I think in terms of like, you know, they, they basically it's it's most of the issues are with the Dahan and, uh, and all that kind of thing. Yeah,
0: I think I think, that you know, there's one thing I want to add, too, which has to do with the game's imaginative scope in terms of this uh, in terms of imagining resistance. Mm-hmm. So th- there was a note in that designer diary about the Dahan, which was that if we imagine the spirits as the Dahan, if we just collapse those categories. Many of the mechanisms don't work. Many of the, the ways of aggression, the ways of, of, of penning in the invaders don't, don't work. Um, it was hard to imagine a purely human resistance that could be formidable enough to deal with this imagined invader. And that to me is the key imaginative failing of of spirit island which is a, a game i like and I, and I really adore eric's work and i think it does a lot of useful interesting things it's but one of my
1: it, top games of all time <laughs> yeah but but to me
0: there's this fundamental problem where it has trouble imagining the many many sites of resistance and the creativity that that goes into those things
2: and the, the and i think you're right the model of conflict is one that is kind of familiar right it's a kind of familiar conflict and you can see by other games that try to deal with resistance, like Black by Block, or um, uh, you know, there there are some that take on a very different model for yep. uh, resistance. That, that um, it's a great place to explore for next steps.
1: All right, so I think that pretty much uh, covers our thoughts. I'm sure there's always there's always gonna be more to say, uh, but I want to jump on Mary's question of like, okay. Uh, so good, nice try (laughs) in terms of how to make an anti-colonialist game. And to be honest with you, like, I'm so happy that Eric went first in a way, uh, of like a big game that tried to flip the script on a Catan. And like, we've had anti-colonial games, we've had critical games, but in terms of a game that like, not only just, um, you know, did its own thing, quote unquote, but like tried to respond so directly, so glad it happened, uh, because now we have that kind of kind of draft of how to do it and so i was like okay what are the lessons learned how can we move forward to do it a little bit better um how can we turn an anti-colonialist paradigm into a decolonized paradigm and that's uh i think that's what we're talking about so that's my nomenclature uh, but i'm i'm hopeful that i'm resonating (laughs) a little bit uh you (laughs) nodded i'll go to you cole first you nodded first about that distinction between anti-colonial and decolonial we haven't talked about it before how do you Mm -hmm. understand that distinction
0: Well, this gets to an old paradox, right? Which is like, how do you know the things that you don't know? You know, how how are you, how are you aware of the things that you're assuming to be to be to be true and normal and natural and all those things? I, you know, when we're working in games, I think the fundamental step of the decolonizing move is to be aware of the depth of the colonized mind, right? And that that takes reflection and it's always imperfect. You're you're, you know, I always tell people that um every game re- 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 reflects the context in which it's created which means you can go in with the best of intentions and there are still problems with it you cannot possibly be aware of all of the things that you're putting in your own design uh mm-hmm. you know no no one no one's clean you you, you that, that that's kind of a a fantasy that's better left to the theologians right
1: right and i think um, on some way in some way just to kind of extrapolate on that like when we when try to make an anti-colonialist game it's almost like we're trying to make the guilt-free game the clean game yeah right it's like okay I, I can play this i can play this thing and i won't feel so bad because i'm playing against the colonizers type of thing
0: well and, and i do think, i mean one one thing and, and again i think we all um I really do admire admire Spirit Island, but I also especially admire it as almost a cautionary tale because I think that a lot of choices, and that you can see this in the design diaries and in just how the game has grown and been talked about, a lot of choices were guided by how can I do this in a way that doesn't offend that 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 presents things really in a way that would be ideal, perfect, whatever, as opposed to saying what are the true extents of this type of thinking? And are there ways that I can find new ways of, of solving these problems, of presenting these things? And when, when you start to do that, different things start start falling out, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, what, what one game that, that, that comes to mind, which is actually quite a bit earlier than, than Spirit Island is is Joel Toppin's Navajo Wars, which is an incredibly well-researched, very interesting design about the history of the, of the Navajo people. Um, and it doesn't look like any other game. And it doesn't like play like any other game. And that means that for players who are first learning the game, it's more difficult because it doesn't rely on systems that they're familiar with. But when you read the designer notes and when you fall into the logic of the game, it's very clear that these were mechanisms designed f- from primary documents first. And it creates a very different kind of play experience. But um there is the, there, there's a lot of advantages to doing that work. So, I mean, the the, the first thing I think is, is recognizing that if you're going to do, if you're going to work in this area, if you're going to try to sort of, you know, be glue about it, decolonize games, understand that you're going to make things that are going to be uncomfortable by nature. And that, that doesn't just mean uncomfortable in theme, it also means uncomfortable at a mechanical level. It's not going to be a role selection game.
1: Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Mary. Uh, the distinction between anti colonial and decolonial. Can, uh, yeah I mean and one is yeah.
2: one is working against and one is dismantling and, and and sees itself as I, I think it's an ongoing project mm-hmm. <laughs> this, this can't be done overnight um, but it can be part of the consciousness of our, our design processes actually so so you know bringing it back to teach when you're teaching people game design when you're when you're talking about stuff at, at con- conventions, when you're even play testing, you know how do we bring these dialogues to light so that multiple perspectives are are coming about? And it's also looking at diverse creators who are doing new games that don't always fit into um, just fit into you know uh, genres that we we have. And I think Cole's touching on that, like um you know, we write about some of these in in the in the book, you know, like even party games, I think, is quite interesting because, you know, we often, well, we have, colonizing games these big giant narratives well what about what about some games that don't even go down that path like nunami mm-hmm. um, by Thomas C e. menjiak um, or um, um, of course monstrosity by Eric Slausen, like mm. which I think is a genius game <laughs> because it actually is critical of contemporary policing practices and identifying practices while putting it in a party game to me that's a a very inspiring combo because you have a game that's not dealing with territories and other kinds of things, and it looks just looks at a different system. So in that way, um, uh, maybe even looking outside the the, the traditional, you know, modern Euro complex game space is maybe a way to bring some new ideas mm-hmm. in to that space.
1: Okay, Uh, so you brought up a couple of things, and this is where the conversation gets a lot more difficult. The waters really rise, which is perspective. Who is making the games? So very often I hear on a forum that uh, let's say someone is making a a game from a a quote unquote other perspective. And when we talk about decolonization, what we're talking about ultimately is is other perspectives. You know, like locate yourself in the Dahan, locate yourself in native peoples and marginalized peoples and all that kind of stuff. And those people need to be the ones that tell their stories. Uh, and tell their own stories. And like we were talking about agency like that, you know, telling your own stories about as declonal as you can get. Right. Um, it isn't just like telling the other telling the colonizer story in reverse is like, no, 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 I'm telling my own story. So that becomes really difficult because you get that kind of that pushback of like, well, I want to make a game about Egypt. Are you telling me that I can't make a game about Egypt as a white guy? Are you telling me that I can't make XYZ uh, you know, um there is it. It, it actually. It, what it? Well, actually, I'll I'll bring in Egypt in a little bit. Um, but I mean, I'm sure you've heard that of of like, okay, if we're really going to go down this road, that means like games some different type of people from different perspectives. But then there's that like, well, is it impossible to for in my you know as a as a white guy uh, or as a as a whatever you know maybe they don't even identify as white guy maybe that just identifies like okay I'm just a designer, you know, and I should be able to you know design. What I, what I, you know, follow what I want. Like, you know, I, I I don't need this person telling me what to do. That stifles my creativity. So like, if we wanna get better games and better designs then we need to be able to, you know, have creativity and not have this kind of moral judgment of like, okay, now we expect something from you. You have to unlearn and you have to do all these things uh, in, order to, in order to make a, a game that people will accept. So I'm imagining I'll go to Mary first. That you've encountered a little
2: bit of that. What do you think of that? Well, I mean, <laughs> you've put your finger on the cultural moment, right? <laughs> this is larger than us. This is larger than board games, and it's larger. It's a larger conversation. So I don't think we can solve that. Um, that the complexities of that conversation um, in the course of our our time together. But I I I can think that approaching things with a sense of authenticity and trying to figure out you know what your role in that in that process is very clearly because designers reproduce the problems of their contemporary world whether they whether they intended or not right so what we're trying to do is get get designers to ask the questions and to at least be starting these conversations maybe collaborating across different divides maybe Um, taking new perspectives, maybe inventing new game forms, because that that's also (laughs) um, something I'm I'm constantly surprised how long we've had, you know, two player winner take all battle royale chess model games, like Mm. we had them for 1000s of years, the same similar kinds of models. And and we have an explosion right now of all kinds of possibilities. So what are games that actually model the way we solve problems now? How? What, what, what are new ways of solving problems, you know? Um, which takes me, you know, so for example, I don't really like to make games where they're combat, any kind of combat system. Yeah. Makes my games probably a little less popular. But I don't do that because <laughs> I, I'm trying to imagine something that's not based on a combat model. I'm trying to actually, with my core values, say, okay, let's not go to that Let's go to a different place and see if we can make some. Can we still make a game that attracts the same kind of players who like that kind of play, but it's doing something new or different with competition, the the notions around competition and cooperation? I'm
1: so happy you mentioned that. uh, Just a, you're, you're Mary, on fire today. (laughs) Um, You're already on fire. Um, but you, you touched on something that in terms of like, you know, what is a gamer, right? And I read this thread, this was about a month or so ago, where you know, people who play Animal Crossing are not real gamers. People who play Stardew Valley are not real gamers. People this who has play... always
2: been the gaming thing. Right. This is always, you know, I, you know, it was back in The Sims. And it was like, well, Sims isn't a real game. Sims is a simulation. Right. I was like, right. well, great, great, but who cares? <laughs> um, but that's it, it just goes, a, that's it, the, last, it, that's it's, the annoying. last question of a that's the last bastion of white male power, as far as I can tell you.
1: <laughs> it's annoying, and we have to deal with it a lot, but I think it goes to what we we're talking about in the first part of our conversation, which is the colonized mind.
2: That's mm. right, because the colonized mind has very strict rules on categorized. Ca- colonization is about categorizing, delimiting, breaking mm-hmm. apart. I mean, that is all part of the colonized project. There are the, these people over there who don't count. There are these people over here who count. All of those kinds of rigid lines I'm not saying we can't have science (laughs) and I'm not saying we can't have, but if you look at the history, especially the, you know, go, go through the enlightenment, it was a lot about separating mind from body um, science from, you know, thought (laughs) critical thinking. Um, And, and if we kind of see this as a healing period, what are some interesting ways we can start pulling ideas together rather than separating all the time. It's separating all the time. Mm
1: -hmm. The idea, uh, I mean, that's so important in terms of like, what is colonization? I think there's there's this tendency that to define colonization as like the, the overt act of violence, like one person hurting another. And, or one person kind of, you know, like it's a one-time deal, right? They went, they conquered, you know, uh, Veni, Vidi, Vici, is that, is that how to say it? <laughs> <laughs> I came, I saw, I conquered. And that's what colonization is. And that's so much of what happens. So it's like, uh, you know that that becomes like a part of the pushback, where it's like, well, can I never kill in a game? And can I, you know, I kill in 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 this game all the time? And you know, are you telling me that I can't be a bad person? There is a difference between violence and colonization. There's a difference between violence and oppression. Violence is violence, and the brain can do whatever it wants, makes itself justified, whatever. What Mary describing is that breaking apart, that objectifying, mm-hmm. that. You know, I I am looking at a person right now and I'm going to actively deny their personhood and I'm gonna do all these things. I'm gonna set up the rules, you know, the rules of and the rules being the policies and laws and all that kind of thing. But in a game, I don't even need to like enforce uh, you know, I don't need enforce mechanisms just in the rules, right? Mm-hmm. Uh the rules are the the land infinitely generates. The rules are the people are totally quiescent and mm-hmm. Unfortunately, when we talk about Spirit Island, and I read that lore piece, that's exactly what, like we're talking about acquiescence,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's like, it, when we bake acquiescence, on the, acquiescence is not just like, a, you know, an agreement and court to equals, but acquiescence of one's own humanity is baked into these games. Mm-hmm. And I've rendered human beings, certain human beings into objects. And people are like, "Well, what's the big deal? Okay, maybe once or twice, but as Mary's book described playing oppression now available in stores, there's a lot of these things. (laughs) I I told you I'd get that in (laughs) there.
2: I don't There's even know a, what stores it's available in, actually, but
1: that's <laughs> great. <laughs> There's a tradition, a long tradition of these things, and it goes back and back and back. So it's like, we're not just talking about one, two games along the way. We're talking mm-hmm. about a whole patrimony of games. And so thank you to Spirit of Island for trying to, like, being one voice amongst, you know, against mm-hmm. all this cloud of games. We're just pointing out that like, okay, when we, you know, when you kind of go directly at the enemy, then you're, you know, what? what's the 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 Z- Nietzsche throat, you know, you stare into the monster becomes you kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it a little bit of that. I think mm-hmm. we need to kind of come up, come at it from a different perspective. So I'm sorry, yeah. Cole, you had to-
0: no, 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 no. I, I mean, th- just to echo some things that have been said, there is no shortage of good work to be done. Which is why I always uh, I always get prickly when people you know say like well you know I've I have this subjectivity does that disqualify me from working on this type of game and I say no it just creates different a different set of demands I mean games are and I love you know I love uh, Elizabeth Samp- Sampat's work on this like games are fundamentally empathy engines understand the thing you're making is going to generate empathy so you best understand what kind of empathy it's generating. And that that requires different types of work for different sorts of folks, and and so I I I, I try to think about like you know I think the 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 work but before us collectively is so demanding it's so difficult, um, that we want I mean every able hand to participate, but just understand you're going to be participating in different ways uh, because you couldn't help but participate in in different ways, um, and then to the, to the point about on games Mary which I, I I I want to just like quadruple underline because it is. Um, and I also want to historicize it a little bit because I think it is this very peculiar thing about game culture now that is the, at the confluence of a bunch of different movements. One of them is, of course, the long history of game as contest. Game as gamble, you know, is it a con- contest of of God's will or of luck or of skill or of justice? And this is, you know, everything from the Royal Game of Ur to chess to a Call of Duty tournament. Um, and then that gets tapped into. The uh, making games serious with history, which I always think about as a very funny thing that especially – and this, of course, relates to their pedagogic impulse. But if you're trying to make a game serious by putting historic drapery on it, well, what's the most serious kind of history? Well, it's usually political history, which means mm-hmm. it's usually wars. And then all of those things kind of arrive at this moment we're at, where we're getting like the most serious game looks like a military exercise. And it's at, I mean, it's basically borrowing legitimacy from all these different elements of the past, but it doesn't have to be articulated in that way, in that way at all. And I always, you know, I, I run into this problem a lot because I review a lot of prototypes. And I especially review a lot of prototypes for a, for asymmetric designs, where, you know, the whole premise is that you're going to be, people are going to be starting from different positions. And the thing that always gets me about the designs is there's usually, like, I call it the combat clearinghouse, which is no matter how different we are, if ever we need to interact, we can always fight each other. Right. We can always, (laughs) like, you know, I might be a baker and and, and you might be a weaver, and if I need to steal your textile, I'll just go bop you on the head and grab it. Now we attack. Why is the (laughs) fundamental grammar of this game built on hitting and, and, and I certainly ran into and, and, Well, and I, and I can tell you the answer to it, which took two years and working on Oath to figure out, which was that if you're trying to create interactive games, you need some kind of baseline. And so you end up drawing on that baseline, but it doesn't have to be the only baseline.
2: Games rely on conflict, but conflict can take many more. <laughs> and, and,
0: and here, like I, I really admire um, a lot of the work that's happening in like the more avant-garde RPGs, Avery Adler's work, of course, uh, Ross Kalman's work on um, the uh, the Fall of Magic and more recently The City of Winter, which is an incredible empathy engine, which is so good at thinking about how we can have interactions and even conflict, but not have them be violent. Necessarily, uh, and I think I think there's just a lot of a lot of good work be- happening right at this very moment.
1: So um, that that brings up something in terms of that wo- the, you mentioned the word, and that's another one kind of one of these trigger words, avant-garde, right? Um, so a lot of a lot of things are happening on the margins, and they're always happening on the margins. That that uh, mm-hmm. in a way that's not different. I think more is, and it's it's richer. Uh, but you know, it's not like it's new. We've always had you know stuff. People think it's things from this perspective, but it's always been on the margins, and it's always been the elite. Mary makes games in her lab, and <laughs> and you know uh, these aren't like ten thousand, hundred thousand uh, you know print run games. Uh, and you mentioned before Navajo Wars, uh, and Navajo Wars was a you know distributed game, but good luck finding it. No, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> and it was a very, very heavy, heady. You know, I remember trying to get it to the table. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm it's heavy. I mean, it's hard, it is a heavy game, and also, um, the follow up, sharia which is by the same designer, uh, which I just game, I actually enjoy a little bit more. Um, these are not games that we're going to find a target, these are not games that are going to influence people if we're going like. So the question, like, we can we can answer this question of like how to make a decolonized game. I guess the the question to really answer is how do we make a decolonized game that people actually get access to and want to play? You know, is that even possible? Because we're talking about like, you know, um, you know, increasing the subjectivity and increasing the perspectives and content and da 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 da. And it's like I just want to sit down and have a good time, and that's what people walk into Target for. Or on a designer perspective, they just want to. You know, they they don't need they they shouldn't need a PhD in decolonial theory to tell a fun right. story about glad eaters. right? I, I, shout out to Liz Davidson. Uh, I'm sure, sure she loves gladiators like that. That happens all the time. It's like oh, I want to make a fun game about gladiators. Why do I need a a PhD in this in this thing? Or I want to make a fun game about cowboys. It's like you know mm-hmm. cowboys. Da, 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 da. And so like, what do you say to that? And I guess I'll go to Mary. Um, that idea that like it's too much to ask. And as 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 much as the 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 moral impulse to be like, okay, I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to be a. I'm a good person. I want to make people happy, and yet now there's all this all these things that I need to account for. That it it, it feels very disempowering to the creator. What do you think about that?
2: Well, I would say just for the creators, I mean, it's, you know, I am one of these very small indie people trying to get the games out, you know, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work as well. I mean, you know, it is we are in a big engine of capital and um, certain kinds of games are made for certain kinds of audiences to review to get to certain kinds of contests, you know, like that. it's a we're in an ecosystem that doesn't reward novelty for, for novelty's sake, I, except for a, a few of these uh, experimental groups who are trying to like, indicate, and then the, mm-hmm. I forget the name of the other one, where, uh, where uh, I forget the name of this. I think it's in our book, hopefully. But it, the there are these little like, we're gonna help you get your game out. But that, the hard part is that it's very hard to get very new things out. and it um And it's hard to reach the number of people, you know, who would actually be like, who like early adopters are always looking for new things and looking for novelty, but it's, it's not always easy to reach them. And that's just kind of a fact. It's, it's the same in other avant-garde art forms. So you're doing experimental right. performance art in, um, you know, Iceland. I don't know where you are. <laughs> <laughs> like, It's not going to, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to, 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 to share it unless you find a circuit to share it on. And so, yeah. Um, you know, besides indie helping each other and, and, um, and you know, certain fans who find this stuff and help share it, um, I think it's really about the network that we can really bring, um, you know, celebrate new voices whenever we can. And it's not just about you, it's about us.
1: Right. Now, I mean,
0: I always think like there's a hundred years between, I don't know, Duchamp and TikTok. But like these things are connected, and there are there are you know ripples to to the sorts of aesthetic and, and political imperatives that, that we have in our work. They just take a really long time to realize. You know, there isn't. I would be suspicious of any target exclusive decolonial takeover that that, that caught fire <laughs> because I think you know I mean, I'll use Spirit Spirit Island as an example. Um, one of the most successful indie games of the past decade spirit island has sold incredibly well i mean it's mm-hmm. been a, a phenomenon and of course when we look at its, its its mechanisms that partly explains why it has been so successful sure. but it is undoubtedly moving the needle a little bit and you know for mm-hmm. another example of that you know we um things like spirit island in small ways contribute to the work that the zenobia committee did mm-hmm. that yeah. is that, leading to a lot this of this is what games i are,
2: was trying to think of yeah yeah,
0: yeah, that that is leading to a lot of excellent games getting published, but. This takes years, and I, if you look at uh, GMT, the, the the war game publisher, um, they they have a, a P five hundred pre order program. And if you look at the sorts of games that populate that list now, it's very different from the sorts of games that populated it ten years ago. Boriken
1: you know, has four hundred sub. Uh, needs to get the five hundred to be published. Come on, people.
0: Yeah, it's it's almost it's almost there. <laughs> um, and, and and so these are these are small steps, but they're they're steps in the, in the in the right direction. And then you know one of the things I love about working in the game form is that uh, the the games don't expire. You know, a game, a, you know, a copy of Boriken, which will someday be produced is going to be in a closet, is going to be found by some great nephew in 80 years, and that game is still going to fire and still going to work and still be able to, to influence that in the same way that many of folks who started designing now started when they found old games in closets. So the, this stuff, to, I mean, it, there are...
2: It the, beats CD-ROMs.
0: Yes, yes, for sure, <laughs> because that copy of Mist I found at my aunt's house didn't work on my computer. Um, you know, I, I think about, like, the... The, the fundamental problems and structures that we're all trying to struggle against, they are very old, but the solutions are also old and, and will, will take a long time to kind of germinate. And you just sort of take heart and, you know, I, I think this is a place where the board game community, I think, is uniquely appointed um, at, because it is a pretty connected space and people are pretty good about sharing interesting designs and ideas. So I've been really, you know, I um, have, have taken a lot of heart at the success that Amabel Holland and her company has seen um, because she's publishing fundamentally interesting games that really push the boundaries of the form. Her, her recent title endurance um, about the Shackleton expedition is incredible in part because it has no victory condition. It doesn't have the, an end point, and And it's, it's a very thoughtful and interesting exercise about survival and tedium that is lovely, and it's it's sold well and it's making it's its little impact, and I hope that there the, you know there, there's another one or that a, another designer looks at that design and then and then takes it to the next level
1: mm-hmm. uh, I so I'm invoking some things that I heard from uh, and, and things that I don't agree with, right. I think in terms of like the designer wanting to design a, a, you know something that glances at a cultural thing like you know a cowboy or you know mm-hmm. the a samurai or these things. And people, and that designer kind of saying, oh no, you know what, i am I I'm never going to be able to make a game or whatever it is? And I love what you said, like the, you know, this may seem like new and out of the, you know, we haven't, we didn't think about this 10 years ago. Uh, yeah, we did. It just was in the center of the discourse. Like we, this, these have been going all over the place and like the problems are old, but the solution is old too. And for me, the solution involves asking, you know, if you make a game, about a concept and there is someone else who knows a thing about that concept, then ask, right? I'm not making a Star Wars game without consulting somebody who knows Star Wars. It would be unimaginable to do that, right? So it's like if I made a, something that kind of evokes Star Wars, and I didn't, con- and I didn't know anything about it, yes. and you know, I just kind of like I spent five minutes on Wikipedia making something about Star Wars, and like the Death Star was a circle or or like a big square in the middle of the thing, and you know, and, and everything's like all wrong. That you would get roasted in five seconds. How could you not talk to somebody? We're all right here, and <laughs> it's so funny. We we think about the like, we think that way in terms of like a Star Wars or a Batman. We're so used to that. And yet, when it comes to cultures, well, that can just do it. It's just there, right? And that's yeah. what it takes. That's that's what decolonization is. Decolonization is asking. Decolonization is turning objects into subjects again, resubjectifying things. So it's like if if uh, if you're making an old west game then ask someone who has familiarity with the old West, And and it kind of blows my mind that there's there's this resistance to it. It's like, well, did they they become like the Pollock You know, I don't want to give control away. There's a big control instinct there. I don't want to give control away. It's like, well, you decided to make the story. You tried to tell that story. You decided to make the game. Well, if if that's what you want to do, then treat it like Star Wars. Then treat Mm -hmm. it like whatever other thing that you know people care about. Speaking to your point about empathy. Uh, Cole. Like, you know, people care about this. So ask. And the simple act of asking seems like a very powerful decolonization tool for me, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, mm-hmm. So is anything anything else that we need to say in terms of like that distinction or anything else in this conversation, like, you know, how to move forward the,
2: the best? I mean... We can keep going on, but (laughs) I I think we're at the. I
1: think that 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 kind of sums it up a a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I
2: think think just summarizing that these anti-colonial and counter-colonial decolonial processes are movements that are continual, and they they fundamentally have to reconnect us in different ways. So I you know I think that that maybe this conversation can help people start to reflect on that and to think about ways that they might innovate in the game space in a in a in a completely unexpected way
1: yep. right yeah i think i mean to me i think the question like is it okay and uh you know am i gonna offend anybody i think you know you're gonna offend somebody if you if you do a decolonial game like that's just right. the way it is like if because on for if you're going to center like let's say you're in the old west just has got to change the example a little bit and you center the natives and you do a, a native centered game you're going to piss people off because you are going to, you know, like in Navajo Wars, right? I mean, you could you're looking at, you know, the it centers the the Navajo peoples and like, you know, the the outside forces are very kind of abstractified and you know, that's that did that game didn't get a, a whole ton of run. And I think the people who did play that game came at it from a mature historical understanding for the most part. So that wasn't gonna get a lot of pushback. Had you made target exclusive Navajo wars, that probably would have picked yeah. people because right. <laughs> then it's like okay I'm sending them to Navajo what am I you know seeing anything against white people and uh, it's like uh, yeah yes you ask the Navajo person did the white man do some bad stuff to us yes and I'm going to put that in my game so that's there's, there's going to there's, at some level there's going to have to be an ownership of that I'd be like yeah no this happened and I'm Just- going to let that person speak as opposed to letting my fears about what the backlash will be speak
0: so, I mean, the one thing I would want to add, kind of as a last remark from my part, is that I think it's important to recognize that the desire to avoid offense—that's a fine thing to to worry about. You you don't want because essentially it's it's saying that you know you said something that you didn't fully understand the ramifications of, but it shouldn't be your primary concern. The primary concern should be understanding something, and I think the. You know the, the little th- story that, that 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 comes to mind. I recently w- w- was working on a big talk and did a lot of deep reading into the history of, of of Catan, and I think about the Mayfair edition of Catan, which dressed Catan up in this American colonial dressing. It like looked like a bunch of Puritans, you know, going and founding the Massachusetts Bay Colony, um, and they did that because they want they were making a game about trade and they were trying to position it in a way that made sense to the American audience. But the original theme of Catan was about the colonization of Iceland, mm-hmm. which is one of the rare moments where it was a colonization of an uninhabited island, a thing that has mm-hmm. hardly happened in US history, in global history, rather. And by retheming, by trying to find a more unobjectionable theme, mm. they accidentally performed a massive amount of erasure. Oops. Whereas they, if they would have just said, look, this is a game about the history of the colonization of Iceland. Funny thing about Iceland, there weren't a lot of people living on Iceland. There were some monks living on the edge of the island. And that, a lot of what, like how Catan works makes sense in the, that initial con, concept, but then doesn't make sense in this, in this other context. And not only does it not make sense, it starts replicating all of these pretty horrible ideological elements that are closely tied to the enterprise of colonialism. So understand that we're making games that there's no getting out of the soup that we're all swimming in. You can either recognize it's there or you can, you know, not. Mm
1: -hmm. So you are making games, Mary. You are writing books. You are doing scholarship. Tell us a little bit about what is upcoming for you.
2: Oh, um, i have a new game um, that should be um, emerging and kickstarted this year um, mm-hmm. called Avant Card. Interestingly enough, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm just I'm doing a lot of stuff. I recently was in Turkey in Ephesus with a bunch of archaeologists looking at um, ancient board games, so that was really cool pretty much coolest thing ever um (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah so i i've I've been i've been running around doing a lot of interesting things but um and then um fancy mink has been doing really well at Resonim, and um we're working on a follow-up game Mm. stay tuned Ooh,
1: very nice uh could tell us a little bit about those games are they social games are they euro style games Uh, games? um
2: on that card is kind of like a I don't know if we've developed our pitch, but it's like a, it's like, a, uh, I haven't, I don't, I don't know how to describe it actually. It's so
1: <laughs> avant-garde. It's so just avant-garde. like, just, just experience No, it's, it. a, it's, a
2: card, it's, a, it's a card game where you've got, you've got powers to your cards. It's like a supercharged Uno.
1: There you go. Nice. <laughs> I love supercharged Uno. You know. <laughs> it's a
2: supercharged Uno that's taking place in art galleries. Um, yeah. And um, the new phantom ink may have something to do with creativity.
1: Mm. Very cool. Uh, so you are constantly putting stuff out. Uh, John Company has been delivering, I believe, yep, second edition out. and everything. Uh, people are enjoying that. We do have a playthrough in the one-stop co-op shop. Uh, Mike took care of that. I still have to play it. I, I've only played Rude. I need to I get into some of your historical stuff. Uh, but what else is coming that you can actually tell us about? So uh, John Company, uh, we've got language editions coming
0: out, uh, hopefully within the next few months, um, publishing in lots of languages. I think we have six or seven um, that are coming out, and there'll be a, some, some more English as well. Uh, for the historical games, uh, currently, Drew and I are working on Molly House with mm. um, a, a wonderful uh, wonderful designer, Joe Kelly, uh, which is about drag culture in early 18th century London and is a, a really excellent, interesting d- design. Uh, we also are looking at some games about, among other things, um, the mine wars in West Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, the history of Singapore. Uh, the Sacred Band of Thieves, lots of other stuff that we are working on uh, that I'm having a great time with, and then at Leader uh, we are in the final stages of completing Arcs, our epic science fiction game, which is deeply interested, by the way, in questions of how do you make an, ex- a, an asymmetric game where people don't don't have to fight each other mm-hmm. and try to tell stories that are outside the political and the militaristic, although those stories are in the game too. Uh, that project has turned into the largest project I've ever worked on. I think we are three years into the design and we have a few months yet to go. So I'm a little, if I'm harried, I'm actually, the reason I've got a big beard is because I don't get to trim it until I've released the next, the next uh, playtesting kit. Right. Uh, But it's going great. And uh, hopefully it will be to backers uh, early next year.
1: All right. Uh, Mary Flag and Cole Worley. Thank you so, so much for joining the show. Please do not be strangers.
2: Thank you, Jason. Thanks everybody.
1: If you can change your mind, you can change the world, people. So until next time, everybody.